0: Man, good morning, morning. I'm back. All right, by the way, everybody thinks I keep it down there because I'm short, like every guest speaker comes here, puts it up here, says it's because I'm short. It's actually because I don't like it being in between me and you. It's not that. My surgeon said he made me three millimeters taller in surgery. I had, to buy, I had to buy longer pants, and I mean, was, you know, so actually, no, that wouldn't work, but all right, Psalm 119, did you guys turn there? Now, I started asking some of the guys that we have in discipleship groups and study groups to actually bring a Bible, I know it sounds archaic, so 1990, but bring a Bible, now, if you don't have one, there's one on the seats in front of you, I'll even cheat and give you the page, it's on page 512. But be in your Bible. Like a digital Bible is great. I have one on my phone. I use one on my computer. I use it all the time. But this is the Lord's day. We're in church. We're in worship. And you and I both know if you're on your app, you're going to get other things, right? Let's just slow down. Let's just open our Bibles. I told all the guys in these groups, I said, listen, bring, bring a journal. Take notes. Here's what I've told them before. Here's what I notice whenever I go anywhere. The smartest guys in the room are always the ones taking notes, right? You would think everybody else would be taking notes to try and catch up, but the smartest guys in the room typically are taking notes. Writing things down matters. We're going to be talking about the Word of God today. Now, here's the deal: I missed four messages. I was out for surgery for four messages. Now, let's pretend that I keep my messages to 45 minutes. Let's just for a minute, all right? 45 times four—that's three hours. The Super Bowl is not till 3:30. We're good, right? Like, I can make up. All right. Should have been Bills, Cowboys, anyhow. But I'm just throwing that out there. All right. So, all right. Psalm 119. I, I, this is, have you ever seen a brawl in the middle of church? This section is going to happen, right? It's going to say, fly eagles fly, fly. Sounds like something out of Isaiah. Tomahawk chop sounds super racist. I don't know what to say. So, I, I don't know which one God would want, but. Psalm 119 begins with a beatitude. A beatitude is a blessing. Here's the most famous beatitudes we know of. Jesus says, them. I'll put them on the screen, Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's not... All of them, that's just a small portion of that section. But those are the most famous Beatitudes. But the Psalms have a lot of Beatitudes in them, blessings in them. Now, blessings typically come with how do you receive this blessing? Like, Again, they're, they're from God, they're divine, they're not human. They're how God blesses us. And they're from his grace and his mercy and his joy, but... But God also tells us, how do we put ourselves in a place where God would want to bless us? And the Psalms do a lot of that. And this one today is going to talk about how blessing comes from being, from knowing and understanding God's word, being in that place. So wherever you find yourself this morning, maybe you resonate with those who are poor in spirit. Maybe you're in desperate need of a savior today. Well, there's a blessing in God's word. God's word will tell you about the savior. Maybe you're here and and, and you're mourning a loss. Well, God's word is a blessing. God's word is a comfort. Maybe you're here and you're struggling and repenting of sin. Well, God's word is a blessing. It not only convicts, but comforts and leads and empowers Maybe you're here, and you want to belong. You want to find a place where you can invest in a family. Well, God's word is a blessing. It calls us together. So no matter where you are this morning, God's word is that blessing for us. Psalm 119, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart. So blessed. Just like last week when we heard Psalm 1. Right? Was Pastor Rudy was here. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands on the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. On it he meditates day and night. Right? Blessed is a man who doesn't do this, but his time is in the word of God. Well, same here. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keeps God's testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. Now, again, this is divine blessing. This isn't how you get a raise at work, maybe. This isn't how you, you know, ace the test at school or whatever. this is putting yourself in a place where God desires to bless you. So here's a main idea we'll put it on the screen. God's word promises blessing based on obedience that is found in scripture. God gives freely, but he calls us to a place where we're obedient and that he pours out his blessing on us. And we find out how to be obedient by being immersed in scripture. Now, can God pour out blessing apart from that? totally because god is god and god does what god does right just like when we came to faith god poured out blessing grace on us while we were still sinners so god will do what god's going to do but what god's word teaches us is that he likes to bless those who are obedient and he teaches us obedience in scripture i want to restart at verse one so read with me again blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the lord Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Now, when I read this, I see the blessing. I see the Beatitudes. I see that. I also see a problem. Like this, for me, when I read this, what I see is also a problem. I feel like I'm going to run into Alex's mic. All right. It says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless. I'm not blameless right? Like, immediately, I measure myself by God's word, and okay, I'm not blameless, and who walk in the law of the Lord. Well, I do some of that. Some. Sometimes. I mean, when I'm asleep, I don't do much wrong, honestly, right? When I wake up, it's where the the variables come in, but I do that sometimes. Now, it says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong. Well, that's like super impossible, right? Those who do no wrong. So immediately I see the blessing and and then I see a problem. And every one of us are in the same place. There's a blessing here and there's a problem. But see, God has already fixed that problem. Right, The gospel message is that. It's that God created us. He loves us. He designed us. He knows how we work. Let me say that a different way. He knows how we are designed to be, but we don't do it. Right, And, and all the way from our ancient parents all the way back, sinned, meaning they decided to go their way, not God's way, which really, if we're being honest, is us saying, God, I know you made me. Totally know you're smart. Got that. But on this one, I'm right and you're wrong. That's sin, right? That's us when we say, God, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to go my way anyways. Right? I know better than you in this moment. Now, we're not so arrogant, I hope, not just to say that out loud, but let's admit that's what we're doing. And we all do it. Therein lies the problem. Sin. You see, sin is that thing that has separated us from God, that continues to to make the distance between a holy God and a sinful humanity impossible. Knowing we could never achieve reaching out to a holy God, God instead reached down to a sinful humanity. See, God himself, God the Son, the very word of God, creator became flesh. Flesh. And became human like us, entered into our story, our world, our flesh, and did so that he could live a sinless life, overcoming all that we fall short of, and then he could go to a cross and take our penalty, suffer on our behalf, substitutionarily die, die where we deserve and he did not be laid in the ground so we know our sins are covered, resurrect from the grave to give us new life. So important, we're not just forgiven versions of our messed up selves, but we're given new life. And that Jesus would ascend back to heaven so he can pour out his spirit on those who believe. You see, it's in that, it's in that I can't do anything right but Jesus has done everything right. It's in that that Luther called the great exchange right on the cross where all I do is I bring my junk and he gives me righteousness. It's in that where we have hope. As we follow Jesus, we're baptized, we become a part of a church, we, whatever we do, join a small group or whatever we do. It's in that that we get to learn how to follow Jesus more closely. And it's in that that God transforms us from who we were to who we are being created to be. Now, if you've been around for any amount of time, you know, this is like my favorite verse in all of Scripture. And it's just such a picture of this. And so it's Ezekiel 36, and we'll put it up. God says this. He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's why I love that. I'll take from you a heart of stone, a heart that can't beat for God. See, God has to take that out. We can't fix that. He says, I'll put in you a heart of flesh. It's one of the rare occasions where flesh in Scripture actually is something good, right? Where it doesn't kind of tie into our sinful nature. But this, in this case, is a good, I'll give you a heart of flesh, one that can beat for God. He says, and then I'll wash, I'll cleanse you, and I'll, I'll put my spirit in you. And then I love this, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. I will cause you to do what I've called you to do. You see, it's God's work. We're not introduced to God through the gospel. We don't come to faith and then turn around and try and white-knuckle it through the rest of our life. See, it's God that causes this. As we learn and grow and submit, surrender to the Spirit inside of us, we draw nearer and nearer to Christ. So back in the, back in the Psalms, Psalm 119 is all about God's word. You're going to see like every line talk in a different way about God's word, repeating itself often, but reminding us how we draw near to Christ. Verse 4, "You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently." Precepts are God's guidelines for behavior. Other words like statutes, rules, My commands, as it says in Ezekiel, right, will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. Like all these words will be repeated over and over. So, from Adam and Eve all the way to us, blessing from God comes like this it comes through obedience. That's not where salvation comes from, salvation comes from grace. But then you are transformed and you're given the Spirit of God. And then blessing, further blessing that God desires to pour out on all of us comes from obedience. That blessing may be in a better marriage or a a stronger parenting of your children. Or or it might come in whatever. Don't hear riches and fame. Hear blessing from God. Nearness to God. Christ-likeness and the benefits in that. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways, writes the psalmist, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Statutes, again, another word for God's word. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Statutes are God's laws, commandments, very similar. But listen to the tone change a little in the psalmist. Oh, that my ways may be. In another translation, it says, if only my ways were committed obedience, right? If only I could do what I know I need to do. Oh, that my ways, I wish that I could. We begin to hear the struggle inside the psalmist. So blessed are those who obey, who do no wrong. I wish I could be that. You hear that as the psalmist writes. There's a struggle built in here. Oh, that my ways could be obedient, that I could keep your statutes. Now, one of the most, one of the clearest representations of this struggle for me in scripture is when I read about the life of Paul the apostle. Now, Paul, formerly Saul, was a Pharisee. If you know nothing about scripture, Pharisees were the rule keepers, right? They were the ones, unlike me, who when it says stay off the grass, they actually do that. I immediately see that sign and want to walk on the grass that I didn't even care about before, right? The Pharisees, however, were the rule keepers. They did all the things. In fact, their flaw was that they added rules to Scripture on top of Scripture as if God could not maintain faith in people on his own. Like God needed a little more help. So they added rules. See, that's who Saul was who becomes Paul as he comes to faith He begins to go by his name Paul, and he goes on to plant many churches in the New Testament era in the first century of the church. He goes on to write most of the New Testament writings or books or letters. And he is the one who was formerly a rule keeper, who then comes to faith, empowered by the Spirit, then writes these words in Romans 7. He says, This, for I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it, for I do not do the good that I wanna do, but I practice the evil that I do not wanna do. Do you hear his struggle? Like I know what I wanna do, I know what God is calling me to, I desire this, but man, I keep being over here. I keep struggling, I keep sinning, I do the evil that I don't wanna do. And this is a long passage where he goes back and forth why do I do the things I don't want to do? And why do I not do the things I, I want to do? And then just about five verses later, he gets to the solutions. Verse 24, he says this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to the God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, he has that same tension that the psalmist writes about. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why don't I do the things I should be doing? And why do I have this struggle? It's sin that lives in me. He comes to the conclusion, but thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, the gospel's powerful. That the gospel has overcome my sin. That the spirit of God is changing me, transferring me, moving me, teaching me to be obedient. If Paul the rule keeper can struggle like this, then I understand I'm I'm going to struggle to be obedient. But thanks be to God that Jesus is greater than my struggle. That Jesus is greater than your struggle. Now back in the Psalms. The psalmist writes verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So he goes from if only i could to now i will praise you and but listen to his cause and effect i will praise you with an upright heart when i learn your righteous rules when i learn your word then i will worship you correctly right you can worship god but apart from the word you cannot worship god the way he calls you to right that orthodoxy ends in orthopraxy, right? That when we learn right practice, right doctrine, excuse me, when we learn right doctrine, we will land in right practice. But unless we learn what God has called us to, typically we just do what we want or what we think. So the psalmist rightly says, I will worship you, I will praise you, it will be correct, it will be appropriate, it will be proper to be what you want me to be when I learn your word. I want you to write this down. I'm going to put it on the screen. Worship and obedience require knowledge and understanding of God's word. Worship and obedience require knowledge and understanding of God's word. Worship and obedience require knowledge and understanding. You can't possibly worship God rightly or be obedient without understanding what God has called us to. Verse nine, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. It's funny, I mean, let's just face it, when we think of young men, we, we, especially if you were one, or you're a parent and had one, or you've ever met one, young men struggle. They struggle to follow Jesus. They struggle with pretty much every component of life. It is hard to go from a child to a young man to a man. Chemically, physically, bodily, spiritually, you name it. Now, young women, they got their struggles too, but let's face it, when we think of young men, we think of the struggles. And again, I think of the struggles I went through and wish I had been a seven-year-old sitting in this room or a 12-year-old sitting in this room. I I wish I could have not done some of the dumb things I did. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Those that we think that struggle the most, of course, are still reachable, trainable, transformable by God's word. That gives us hope, all the rest of us, so older men, younger men, older women, younger women, all of us, same thing. We keep our way pure by God's word. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Hear the tension again? With my whole heart, I seek you, dot, dot, dot. Please don't let me wander. Like, I'm on track right now, Jesus, but don't let go. Don't let me go back to what I'm prone to. Like, I'm here. Please don't let go, right? You can see the tension built in. You never want to get to that place where you're like, I got this. As the words come out of your mouth, you don't got this, right? Right? you the way to the ground, I'm sure, right? That was totally appropriate English for all of you English teachers. All right, so verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Remember, worship and obedience require knowledge and understanding of God's word, right? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the question we have to ask ourselves today, how do we store up God's word in our heart? Let's I'll, I'll, I'll. start with this. All you do is show up here on Sundays. That's not it, okay? It's going to take more, right? You can't golf once a year, think you're going to progress, right? <laughs> I could golf every day and it wouldn't work. But just the same, a pro golfer I'll never be. Let's just say that. How do we store up, embed, encode right on our hearts the Word of God? Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So here's what the psalmist does. Here's what I need. I need God's word written in my heart. I need to store up. I need to be all up in God's word. I, I need it to speak to every facet of my life, from my thoughts to my actions, to my desires, to my wants, from my marriage, to my, to my job, to my family, to my this, to my It's got to be all up in there. It's got to it's be all around and touch every facet of my life. How do I do that? The psalmist then turns his eyes to heaven. Teach me your statutes, Lord. God, teach me. So today, we're going to talk about how... By the way, that was all introduction. Buckle up, all right? <laughs> yeah, now can you start my timer? No, I'm just kidding. Anyhow, so... Uh, Oh, I've been missing this. All right, so it's good to be with you guys. I love you. I do. It's good to be here. Hard to sit on the sidelines, just for the record. You guys have cared for Lisa and I so well over the last month. You've made it easier. From David coming over yesterday and walking my dogs to meals, and I remember you guys coming over, a lot of you. So thank you. Just if I've missed saying thank you, thank you. I love you. I do. By the way, walking my dogs no easy feat. Three pit bulls, a collective 260 pounds of pit bull. One of them will eat you if you get within five feet of me. Am I right? <laughs> that walk contains a muzzle and a long leash and a lot of David doing this. So anyhow, God bless him. He's a champ. All right, back to Jesus. Okay, so <laughs> Bible study versus Bible reading. I want to give you something. here. when you hear Bible reading... Typically, that's something cursory. You kind of, You read through it, you check the box. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you read, and then you're done. Bible study sounds like something super academic, something that requires other resources than the Bible. I'm going to say it's not that. It's not in between Bible reading and Bible study. It's a bit of both, but I don't want you to leave the text. If you do anything with me ever You know I stress this. Stay in the text. There's great resources out there. We leave the text too quickly. How do we hear from God in God's word? How do we store up God's word? So I want to give you two kind of images that go with our typical Bible reading, our typical Bible study. Bible reading is like a speedboat flying over a lake. Super fun, has its purpose, right? It's a good thing. I'd like to go do that but you miss a lot of the lake. Bible study tends to be like a glass-bottom boat where you got to get rid of everything else. you got to wait and wait and wait and sit there so you can finally let everything settle so you can see. Any scuba divers or snorkels, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Everything's got to settle so you can take it in. It's more that glass-bottom boat I want to talk about today. But I don't want you to hear academic I don't want you to hear you need biblical languages or commentaries or anything else. I just want you to hear that you've got to settle down long enough to be in the moment and see what God's word says. So what does God's word teach us about how to read and study scripture? Verse 13, with my lips I declare the rules of your mouth. The psalmist is proclaiming or declaring or speaking out loud God's word. I'm going to put this on the screen. Number one, read scripture out loud. Read scripture audibly by yourself to your family, especially if you have kids and in your small group. Listen to in the audio Bible where you read visually as well. Auditory reading, when you listen and read simultaneously, a lot more is understood and a lot more is retained. Studies have been done on this. By a mountain of people, secular and and otherwise, hearing and reading simultaneously greatly increases your understanding of what you're reading. My Tuesday morning group, we get together, it's 5.30 in the morning, that's why it's small. We get together and ask any one of them. We will read through the passage more than once, out loud while we follow along always right reading through it more than once is important but also hearing it read i might be the first one to read maybe alex is up next and he's reading it. maybe scott's after that whatever when i hear it read it's different read it if you've got to listen to an audio bible in our church app the esv bible is built in and it has an audio version on it let it play right I mean, there's a place for podcasts and a place for taking in audio learning and all that. We're not talking about that today. I'm talking about while you're reading, listen at the same time. If it's your family, right, read out loud while you're reading. If you're reading alone, find that way to do it. Read it out loud, all that. There's huge benefits to that. Verse 14. So first thing, read out loud. Hear the word as you read the word. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight... As much as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Meditate is used nine times in this psalm. You're going to see it more than once in our portion. By the way, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the whole Bible, the longest psalm. We're not going to cover it all. I wanted to, but meditate. I want to give you this image. So a lot of you drink tea. I'm more of a coffee guy, but I like tea, right? But when you go to make tea, you get your hot water, your cup, hopefully cup first, then hot water. That would be bad in reverse. So you get your hot water together, get a tea bag, and then you're like this. You drop it in, pull it right back out, and do you have tea? Do you have tea? No. You might have some colored water, but I doubt it. What you probably did is make a mess with the tea bag. But what you don't have is tea. See, tea's got to do what? It's got to sit in the hot water and steep. See, as it gets in there, what happens is the flavor gets into the water. The, uh, the aroma kicks in, right? It takes time to sit in the water and go from hot water to hot tea, right? That there is that time, we all call it steeping. Meditating on scripture is steeping. So we'll put this on the screen. Meditate. Number two, meditate on scripture, Spend time reading and rereading the text of Scripture. Take time to steep in the passage. Here's my tip said it earlier. Stay in the text. Number two, don't read it as if you're in the passage. Here's what I mean. If you read something and I ask you, what does it say? It tells me to do this. No, 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 no. no. What does it say? Just sit in the passage, right? You come later. We all enter the passage way too soon. Just remember, the Bible wasn't written about you. It was written so that you could read it. You're not in the text. That's what I mean. Stay in the text. You're not in the text. Here's some some things. What's going on in the passage? Who's talking? Who's being spoken to? What's the obvious or explicit teaching of the text? Is there anything implied or less obvious that's also being taught? What's the overall point the author or speaker is trying to make? Like what's going on in the text? Spend that time, in fact, you should spend most of your time asking those questions. Inductive Bible study, we call that observation, right? If you're in a small group here, we do that all the time. Almost every small group does inductive Bible study, right? Observation, interpretation, application. Most of the time should be spent in observation. So observe the passage, spend time steeping in the passage. It's not tea right away, takes time. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Listen, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes. The psalmist is praying to God. The psalmist is praying, open my eyes. When we pray before the message, historically, the church has always called that the prayer of illumination, right? Right? that we would illuminate scripture, that we could see, that it would open our eyes to that. Here's the third one. We're going to put this on the screen. Pray while reading scripture. Pray more while reading the Bible. Studying scripture should be a lot less of a monologue and a lot more of a dialogue. Allow room for God to speak to you. When you're in scripture and you're spending time in scripture, don't forget the one who wrote scripture. Allow him to speak to you. Ask questions. God, what is this saying? Again, help me understand this. Open my eyes. And do we give room for God to respond? Again, a lot less monologue, a lot more dialogue. Verse 18, I want to read it again. There's a second thing. So he says, open my eyes. He prays. He says, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm going to use a word that is, although this word could be translated, behold, could also be contemplate, right? Contemplate scripture. Here's a note for you. After you have spent time reading, hearing, meditating, praying through scripture, the time is incomplete if it doesn't lead to change in your life. If meditation is immersing yourself in the text, then contemplation is when you move to asking how the text applies to you. Note how late it comes in the process, Right, reading and rereading, hearing as well as reading. Right, meditating on that you can see all the details, the facets of what you're reading, praying, asking God. Then comes contemplating how does this speak to me, my life? How does the gospel here affect how I'm hearing this passage? If this is convicting me of sin, how do I need to repent of my idolatry and turn to Jesus? contemplate. So what does it reveal? What has God said to me as I prayed through it? How does this reveal idolatry or sin in my life? By the way, I use idolatry a lot because I I like the idea of when I take God off the throne and put something else up there like me, that's idolatry, right? It's not just sin. It's giving worship to something that cannot be worthy of worship. And so I, I talk in terms of repenting of that idolatry a lot. How does my need for Christ, or how is my need for Christ revealed in this passage? How does it drive me to the life, death, resurrection, ascension, return? How does it drive me to Jesus? Contemplate. Verse 19, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. The word sojourner here is about being an outsider, an alien. Don't think of the politically charged idea someone who is not from here, a sojourner, a traveler, an alien. It's about being an outsider. It says, I'm a sojourner on the earth. And so I wanna look at this two ways this morning. I wanna ask you if you're here this morning, are you on the outside of the church? Are you a sojourner or maybe not yet a follower of Jesus or not yet committed to a local church? Are you just a traveler between or around? And especially if you are just on the out, of you are not just, especially if you are on the outside of Christ, meaning if Jesus isn't the thing, you wake up to Jesus isn't a thing, I know that. But if Jesus isn't the thing that you wake up desiring to pursue every day, before all else, before marriage and family and work and money and hobbies and everything else, if that's not true, then I would invite you inside. That the gospel invites you into a place at the top of the org chart is Jesus. At the top of what I want to do every day must be Jesus. And we want to invite you in to have that kind of relationship. Maybe even you have been a follower of Jesus, but you've wandered away and something else is on the throne in your life. We want to invite you to remove that or repent of that and, and allow God to be primary in your life. I'm a sojourner on earth, hide not your commandments from me. See, God's word is good for us. God's word is a blessing to us. When we're on the outside, it invites us in. I think of Acts 2.38, where this crowd who had just shouted for Jesus' death 50 days earlier... Now is saying, What must I do to be saved? And Peter walks outside and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The very promise of Ezekiel is being talked about in Peter's first gospel. Will call us all to repentance. If Jesus is not first and foremost and only, then I will call us all to repent. If you've never been a follower of Jesus, come see me, see Pastor John, see Pastor Romati. see one of our elders. They're pretty much all named John, so it's super easy, just for the record. Well, sojourner actually isn't about those outside the faith, though. See, David, who is a follower of God, he is a lover of God. David identifies himself as a sojourner. Here's what he says. He says, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Sojourner actually isn't about the one who is outside the faith, though it's a great application for us. Sojourner is about those inside the faith. And see, here's our problem. Oftentimes, we are so here at home in this world, we're not sojourners here in this world. Are you with me? Sometimes we have everything invested in this world, and God says, no, you don't belong here. You're an alien, a sojourner, or a traveler. You're a guest here on earth. This is not your home. Jesus says it best in John 17. He says this as he prays to God. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just like I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Christian, today, if you are super comfortable here, God is calling you to repent. This is not your home. You are to be a traveler, a sojourner, a person here who doesn't belong but is here for a purpose. That our purpose is to bring the kingdom here. Here. That we would take the gospel around us as John McClure, one of our elders, see, they're all named John. It was one as he prayed today about the, the city of Cerritos. We want to be here on mission. We're here as a, as, a, as, a, as a guest to bring the gospel. This is not our home. We've invested so much in this, it's hard to get our head into our faith. He says, I am a sojourner. Teach me your word. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. You rebuke those who wander from your commandments. We're going to short form that. Those who wander from your commandments, we're going to call that sin. Just as simple and easy. Wandering from what God says is sin. God's word Rebukes us when we sin. But see, it doesn't rebuke us always for actions or behaviors, but for sin. We say this a lot here at Generations Church. We don't have behavior problems, we have belief problems. I'm gonna say it a little differently today. We don't have behavior problems, we have sin problems. Here's why I wanna say it that way I don't want us to keep aiming at our behaviors, our behaviors are the outcome of what we truly believe about our faith and they're sin. When they don't align with God, they are sin. This is super important, not just for us, but as we sit with our families, as we talk to our kids, are we talking about their behaviors, or are we teaching them about sin in their lives? You see, we don't, we don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Are you with me? We sin because that's who we are, that's that's what's inside of us, and that's what needs to change. When you're sitting with your children, from the time they're little on up, are you rooting your parenting in the gospel? Don't lie, or listen, let me show you how sin comes out like this. This is one way. It teaches us to desire ourselves over the outcome. It teaches us to lie and not be honest teaches us this here's that because we sin it's true for you it's true for your kids true for all of us are we repenting of sin are we trying to modify behavior in our lives my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times you rebuke correct teach the insolent accursed ones the sinners all of us who wander from your commandments notice they were in then they wandered that's all of us verse 22 Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. There's that word again. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Again, your servant will meditate on your word. It is used over and over and over in this passage. I'm going to put this on the screen. Here's a little nerd term for you, because I'm back. Well, I thought I'd throw that out there. Lectio Divina, that is Latin for divine reading. Lectio Divina is a process of reading Scripture that's been around for, as far as we know, at least 1,800 years in the church. We don't know about it maybe in those early first years, but we see it right away appearing in the church, and it's simple. Read, read slowly and out loud. We have the benefit of listening We might have a digital version of something. It's the same thing. Read, meditate, pray, and contemplate. I held back. I didn't give you those four terms in Latin. I wanted to. We've only been for my ego, not for you, so I didn't. Read, meditate, pray, contemplate. Lectiovina is this four-phase process of studying Scripture that's been used throughout church history. We see it early in the 3rd century, the 200s. The 4th century desert fathers used this a ton the 6th through 12th century monastic movements that started back then still do it today the reformers the reformation 500 years ago particularly john calvin the father of the movement practiced what we call lectio divina this has been a historic way and historic way if i was an english english teacher an historic way of of sitting and spending time in scripture reading, reading out loud, hearing and reading, meditating, praying, contemplating. I would invite you into this. I would invite you to take the time and spend the time in God's word. The next few verses offer a wide variety of applications for scripture. I'm going to read them fast. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word when we are mourning or suffering, God's word is our comfort. Verse 26, when I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the ways of your precepts. I will meditate. See it again on your wondrous works, right? Prayer and meditation repeated over and over and over again when the psalmist is talking about God's word. God bless you. Verse 28, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Same as above, but seeking strength through grief. Verse 29, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. When you enlarge my capacity to store up your word in my life, I will run further, faster, closer to you. Enlarge my heart. I love that language. How different is the psalmist way back in verse 5? If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes. To enlarge my heart that I may run I've set your ordinances before me. I cling to your creeds. I pursue the way of your commands. Allow me to do more. Allow me to store more of your word in my heart. God, would you store your word in our hearts today? God, would you teach us how to read scripture that we might learn and grow God would you protect us from an arrogant storing up of information and turn us to a humble life of contemplation of how your word transforms us and calls us to Christ' likeness. God will you use your, your word, your perfect, infallible, inerrant, historic, faithful word, will you use that today to change us? that we might become the light to our community as we prayed for earlier. God, teach us your word that we may not stray from you. Correct us when we do, but teach us to not stray. May we become more and more like Christ as we learn and grow in your word because worship and obedience require knowledge and understanding of your word. Would you give that to us today, please? In Christ's name we pray, amen.